you know, I'm a firm believer in, you know, building long-term relationships and networks and things like that. I think you and I have just hit our 11 year anniversary of knowing each other of, of some sorts. That's, wow. Time flies. I had no idea. Yeah. I guess when I think about well, it, sure. It makes sense. I don't know if that's true. I'm just thinking 2012. It's 2013. Yeah. yeah. I failed math. Probably close. You know, yeah. Probably like, closer to, yeah, probably closer to 12 years, but yeah, it's been a while. One of the things that um, I did write about this in Anomaly, but I, I do believe it. And it was it was a cool little thing that I remember you always kind of just just doing early on is after a meeting with someone, you would ask them, like, is there anyone else that I should meet type of thing? And I think a lot of people don't do that. And it's mm -hmm. interesting how, like, just an introduction can 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 go somewhere. That's how uh, I met today's guest is by an introduction from someone else when I had uh, Hampton Roads Business Weekly. And so. I said, hey, like, is there anyone that I should meet? I'd already known this person for a while. And then they're like, yeah, you got to meet Michael Wagner. And, you know, it's 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 always it's always cool to learn about a business they had no idea about and then kind of just follow that journey throughout. And wh wh where do you think people are on on that kind of engine of of doing correct introductions and stuff like that these days, Tim? I don't think that I mean, relationships rule the world for sure, uh, certainly in the business sense. I don't think that people. I think the cliche or whatever we say a lot is uh, relationships are like muscles. The more you use them, the stronger they get. And I don't think that people, uh, I don't think that people leverage them enough, honestly. You think people are afraid? I don't know. Inconveniencing people or something like that? I'm not sure. I, I mean, there might be some aspect to it in terms of uh, if I'm asking for help, there's some sort of sign of weakness. I don't know, but uh, it'd be interesting. I'd be interested to hear Michael's take on on relationships and and how he leverages them. Yeah, welcome to the show, Michael Wagner, lead man at Pool Scouts, a, a pretty rad company that uh, that's headquartered here. The story behind it, we'll let you tell it. But like, I think I met you at 20, 2015, 2016 time frame. Y'all were at the Trashmore location at that point. Correct. Were you a yeah. part of what was was Mosquito Joe associated? At that point, they had to have been, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mosquito Joe was the the first brand uh, that that was uh, started in 2012, and what became okay. Buzz Franchise Brands, which is what we are now—a multi-brand franchisor. Uh, we had Mosquito Joe from 2012, from its inception until its sale uh, in 2018, and Buzz Franchise Brands, or BFB as we call it, is now four brand franchisor um, with about 75 people that support our corporate brands and team here in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Well, one of the first things that, and I don't even know if you can, you can tell this, Tim, but the logo that you see on the back, uh, the Pool Scouts logo, along with all of the other Buzz franchise brands logos, like as soon as you see them, you're like, wow, that's different from like your traditional hmm. like at home services where there there's just like I think the name of this episode is like polishing a blue collar business like you look at these things and you're like okay like that person can come and fix my thing they can do my yard they can do my pool whatever but then to have like this polish and like a nice looking logo and things like that like you really don't see that in these kind of brands and I remember one of the first time uh, and maybe it was the first time that we had ever met and chatted. You said something like that. It's like, yeah, like we 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 polish blue a uh, blue collar business. We we you know we come in with a nice looking uh, a polo uh, a logo on there. And as as simple as it might might seem, it's it's damn good looking and it makes makes people feel 
I think a lot more safe in a situation. There's not just some like random. Yeah. I, I, I don't even know how to articulate it. Like you just see like these other brands that are around there. And you're like, mm, okay. Like it's just, it's not as, it's not as friendly. Yeah. I think one thing with home service brands, which, you know, or I would say uh, two of our brand or three of our brands, rather home service brands. One is uh, British swim school, which is a, you know, a different but, but service to, to teaching children how to, uh, swim uh, through lease pool space. Um, but, you know, there's such an opportunity to professionalize historically mom and pop businesses. And in the case of Pool Scouts, we didn't invent the pool service and repair business, but we've certainly professionalized it with, you know, a, a brand to start with, true marketing, very focused, targeted marketing, and then just standards that are, you know, above and beyond what the historic mom and pop businesses uh, have out there. And uh, it really just gives us a competitive advantage and back to the consumer really gives them uh, more communication, better communication, higher standards, brand standards, which of course we enforce. Uh, and then ultimately local ownership at the, at the franchisee level that it's somebody back in the business who's in their community as well. We do that with home clean heroes and our wonderly holiday lighting business. And then British swim school is, is a little bit different from a not being a home service, but rather teaching kids how to swim through lease pool space, but at a higher standard with all of the brand standards that we, you know, we bring to the table as well. So there's really an opportunity to differentiate, uh, which, which makes us uh, more competitive candidly. How did you, uh, how did, how did you come up with Mosquito Joe is the, is the first one to, to come out of the gate with? Well, I can't take any credit for that because that was before I came here. But uh, Kevin Wilson ah. is the CEO and founder of uh, a Buzz franchise brands. And Kevin's a, a, a brilliant entrepreneur, one of the smartest people I know, candidly, but had done research. He had worked in, in um, you know, investment groups in the past and uh, had really done a lot of work in franchising. He even had a franchise, uh, a company called Benny Spagels back in Dallas, Texas, a while back. He came from the Bain background, consultant background. So really, really smart and entrepreneurial and, and had worked in, in, you know, in equity to, with investments and in franchise and really researched and understood this space around mosquito eradication, specifically as a pest control category. And actually acquired Mosquito Joe, which was being run out of a plant nursery about five miles from where we're located right now. And the acquisition included a couple vehicles and a few hundred customers, but took that and franchised and built it right out of the gate from zero units or the one that we bought to ultimately 340 units across the country in 37 different states uh, until when it was sold in 2018. So there were a lot of things that made that happen. I'd say that the most important thing was the, the leadership team that drove that, led by Kevin, um, Brian Garrison, who's our COO and president now of, of Buzz Franchise Brands, Angela Pauls, who's our chief marketing officer, Mike Hull, who's our CFO, uh, and then a team of people that were involved in just building that brand. There were things that were environmental that helped fuel that, um, some which were things like West Nile and Zika virus, and just an overall awareness of the, the category and the space. Uh, but then it was just really an exceptional unit economic model developed by that team of people that I mentioned and others 
uh, that helped fuel the growth from a franchising perspective. Great business, simple business model, scalable, and it, it just rock and rolled future, you know, the future of it was great. Um, so I came on board in 2015 here to start the second brand. Different than Mosquito Joe, where a lot of the brand new customers, or the customers were brand new to that category. We were really professionalizing an existing space where there were tons and tons of competitors out there, namely mom and pops. But we had this opportunity to take a business and really professionalize it. And, and we've had a good run so far. It's been a lot of fun to, to build to where we are now um, you know, with 49 unique franchisees, 105 locations across now 17 different states. Uh, and our business is, as uh, the way I describe it, it's not a sexy business. But for me, things about it are really sexy. We, we go and we clean and maintain and repair residential swimming pools. But it's a recurring service. It's predictable. It's scalable. You know, we know exactly who our target customers are, uh, which is really sexy <laughs> and having you know, the ability to target market. Uh, and then we just, yeah, you know, we're in people's backyards on a regular recurring basis. So there's a lot of predictability and scalability around the business. Um, so that's you know that's that's kind of a little bit of the story on Mosquito Joe and how that segued into to Pool Scouts. There were a lot of similarities in that it was a home service business. You know, we we knew that it was vehicles and technicians out in the field, and some of the business model side of things was similar, um, albeit it, you know the service was different. Yeah, because it's I mean it's it's really I'm just thinking about it in the sense of uh, at least from the from my point of view, it seems like you were kind of creating a new market segment, new category. Yeah, and it's to you know, how you implement that and how you scale that. Uh, it's just it seems like an, an interesting project to take on, and 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 watching that grow, watching it spread, looking at the the map behind you, you know, putting a new thumbtack in. I'm assuming what would be a new location. Uh, yeah, I mean, there that's. It's it's interesting. But, um, yeah, it's really interesting to see in franchising how you define what your territory is. You know, I think there are so many different ways uh, people think of franchising and often they think of fast food or, or fast casual or restaurants. And, you know, there's so many different categories of franchising out there. And, and you know, in our business and the home service business, we have such, like I mentioned, a target focus, a specific focus on who we service, and then we build our territories accordingly. So for us, a territory that we would award a new franchisee would consist of single family homes with in-ground pools with incomes above $100,000. And we map and protect those by zip code and award those to franchisees. Uh, so that's up to 10,000 target households per territory. And then we take those target households and we market to those specifically. So really defining territory and turf is, is important to understand as people you know investigate what franchises include. So in restaurants, sometimes they'll say, well, you can't have another restaurant within a certain number of miles away or whatever it might be. Um, and you see obviously scale happen in a different way. But for us, it's all about the geography and the definition of the territories. And all of our brands have those defined territories, which really protect the franchisee. So our franchisees are never competing against each other. They have their turf, they have their you know area, and they want their neighboring franchisee to be just as successful, if not more, than them, because 
they help build the overall greater good of the brand. Mm -hmm. um, and that's true, like I said, with all of our brands. Yeah, I mean, I think from a franchise perspective, no matter where you go or anything that's kind of worldwide, maybe even just national, like it's let's talk about like McDonald's, right? Like you go to McDonald's and you're basically going to eat the same Big Mac here that you are in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And and while people might not love, you know, the Big Mac, there is something that's nice about that, that you know exactly what you're going to get every single time. And, and that's maybe not polish with McDonald's, but it is something that is is unique. And, and you know that you're going to get this the, the same service at every location. And that's that that's powerful. So you talk about really knowing your target customer and how sexy that is. How did you guys figure out that it is, you know, in-ground pools above six figures? What was it an easy thing? Was it a hard thing? Because I think most most businesses, most entrepreneurs that are struggling to figure out what's going wrong, they really have no idea who their actual target customer is. And because you guys have been so successful in and in, in growth through multiple brands of that, like what's the special sauce to figure that out? Well, I think, you know, when you start a franchise brand, you have to define, you know, what your parameters are from the very beginning. And, you know, since we started in 2016, we've made adjustments accordingly. Originally, our income threshold was $75,000. The number of target households has grown to up to 10,000, as I mentioned before. Um, and then even the definition of our services and what products we offer in the way of services has grown as we've grown what I would call a share of the wallet with the uh, with our customers. Uh, so I think those things migrate how that might translate into, you know, well, the original McDonald's didn't offer a milkshake, but somebody decided a milkshake was a great thing to add. And ultimately that became part of the, you know, the product sphere of what they were what they were offering and selling. Uh, so I think things, you know, keeping our ears to to our customers and our in our case, our franchisees are our customers. So uh, that's who we're serving is is just listening and, and learning and, and finding the best practices that happen. Um, and that that's true with any franchise brands. But some of the best ideas and some of the you know most important things, whether it's a positive or a negative, you know, things not to do. You learn uh, from listening to the franchisees and really being engaged and involved in their in their development. So it has been a, a you know a migration, and that's true with any franchise brand. You got to be listening. You, you you put up your your parameters and your definitions. That's different though, and I think this you know is different from true entrepreneurship. When you start a business, you know you have an idea, a premise, and you're going down a path, and sometimes. In, in starting a business from zero, you have this, something comes up and it could be your business is gonna go in this direction. And maybe that's really the, the you know, the aha moment where you're deciding, uh, deciding which path to go down. In franchising, you wanna set these parameters up to say, we're gonna keep you within these guardrails and you're gonna follow what we call a unit economic model. And, you know, we're gonna make changes and improve that unit economic model constantly but we're not going to let you go over here, over here, because that's, you know, that's not what we're about. We're about really defining the parameters of what you do and making sure you stay within the guardrails as well. And that goes to services and products offered, who your target customers are, how you acquire those and how you do the operation itself, which is the unit economic model. Hmm. I, this is, this may sound like a really silly question, but, so you define who your customers are. You have that target demographic. How do you determine like what areas 
have like the most pools per household. Yeah. I mean, do you look That's, at like satellite imagery and like, oh, there's a lot of pools there. We, I mean, yeah, I it's part, that. part of our special sauce, Tim, honestly, we, we know those <laughs> folks, we have those lists and we, we constantly are updating those lists. So we know exactly who the target households are and then we market to those people on behalf of our franchisees. One thing that's unique about Buzz Franchise Brands, which is one of our competitive advantages and some of our special sauce as a, as a company, is that we have a really strong marketing group that support our franchisees across all of our brands and specific to each brand. So in our case, in Pool Scouts, we have what I call the, the three-legged stool of marketing, which is we do direct mail to these target households that I mentioned to you earlier. We do digital marketing, which includes search engine optimization handled in-house by our team. And then we help them manage their paid digital side through agency that we work with in the case of Pool Scouts and our other brands. And then we support them on the community oriented side of things, which is we have creative people in-house that do you know, graphic design, videography, whatever, to help create campaigns for them for their local community marketing. And then we share those across, you know, across the franchise systems. So at the end of the day, I would describe that as we do a lot for our franchisees to help get the phone to ring or get the clicks to happen uh, to help them acquire customers. And then to the core of BFB is we're extremely data driven. We literally, and I've worked in corporate environments, as Zach knows in the past, including financial services and DuPont, corporate world, et cetera. I have better access to data here than any place I've ever had. And we share that data with our franchisees. So there's a real keen ROI you know, viewpoint, looking at, at real data to make great decisions on, on how we deploy marketing and what we do at the franchisee level and at the system-wide level as well. So I've, I've seen... I've seen that marketing uh, engine, you know, behind the scenes because I've been able to go to the location before. But something that I thought was was ridiculous when I first heard you say it, and I still like hearing it now. I think it's 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 ridiculous that it works, but it is direct mail, right? Direct mail is an is is an an avenue that you guys take. You guys have figured out what works. You figure out the frequency that works. So, like to me, I, I think about my mailbox, and every time I go there. There's, there's certain types of mail in, in a mailbox, right? There's like bills, right? Then there's just the junk stuff. And then there's the packages that my wife has bought. And this is a daily, uh, daily thing. Most people are probably in a very similar manner, right? What are you doing with those mailers to get them to be seen? Because with so much garbage in so many people's minds that are in that mailbox, you guys have been able to to make that an angle that actually works for for your target customers, and it just seems. I think the word I used was ridiculous. Like it's ridiculous that 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 actually works still in twenty twenty three, when most people would say, "Nah, direct mail doesn't work." I, I I think it can work too, in some of the things that I've done. But like from an actual mailer, the way that you guys do it, like it's incredible that it works. So like, what's yeah, so so I think you know there's a couple things to to note about direct mail. For our case in Pool Scouts, is we are sending direct mail cards with timing offers and to specific target households, and it is the most uh, focused, defined piece of marketing that we do, specifically to you know pool owners with in-ground pools and incomes above 100 100 grand. Uh, so we've got timing, we've got who we're targeting. So, you know, it's our second leading customer acquisition source, but it's the most targeted brand awareness campaign that we actually do on top of that. 
So when we find our customer acquisition happens, you know, our first uh, is, is digital, which is a mix between paid and, and, and SEO and organic. Um, but we know they've received the card. We do matchbacks all the time, right? Or they might, you know, call because they saw a vehicle going down the road, but they've already seen our direct mail cards. They've seen, you know, community oriented stuff. And then finally they determined that digital is the reason or the mechanism they're going to use to finally respond to us. It used to be the power of seven, you know, seven impressions before you would kind of respond to a brand. I think with digital now it's, it's more than that. Um, but you know, it's very, very focused. Zach, another thing is, and I think you can all probably shake your head a little bit now where you say, okay, how many of, you know, I take my personal self and say, how many of my bills, do I not even get a bill anymore? Like for me, I set them up on automatic right. billing or payment and you know, my, my Verizon bill or whatever, they just charge my, my card or, or ACH the money out or whatever it might be. So my mailbox these days, there's almost nothing in there. There's so many days where I go into my mailbox and I'll pick up one piece of mail or zero pieces of mail. Oh. So I think for us in 2022, and this year's tracking well, we had the best direct mail response rates that, that we've ever had since we started the business in 2016. Uh, so response rates are there. I think that there's just not this, other than times when you get into the political landscape where you're getting bombarded <laughs> with, uh, with, with mail, of course, um, you don't get that much mail. So I think that's helped fuel the response rates have been really good. And then back to our specific case with pool scouts is like we're targeting people, like people that have pools in their backyard that need our service. You know, in the case of our seasonal markets, which we're in, we'll target them with an opening offer or a pool closing offer at the right time when they know they're going to need that service or when they don't want to do it themselves in, in many cases too. So a lot of things I think help drive those response rates. So while it's oh it's old school in a way, it's it's timing, it's frequency, it's target, uh, et cetera. Are are you sending those direct mailers to current customers too? Or once a yeah. current customer comes yeah, out? Yeah, we filter them out because often they include an offer to incent a new customer. Once somebody becomes a customer, we filter them out of getting their direct mail. So that we're not sending a, an offer to somebody that's already, you know, got an offer and is paying regular rate. For yeah, I mean, that, that's so smart. And I wish that more people would do it because, like, there's certain companies where I'm like, you're offering, so, you know, uh, a new customer a, a better deal than me, who I've been a loyal customer for six years, you know, and it's just like, I, you know, I feel like I should be. I should get a little something, something for being for the loyalty. So yeah, I wish that's so smart. I'll tell you something else that's come back. That's kind of pandemic related. And I think we'll all shake our head on this one too, is the QR code, right? The QR oh, yeah. code was there a while back. And then thanks to the pandemic and menus, not being menus, being the, the devil, right? Cause you were going to transmit COVID through a menu. Everybody got used to going to a restaurant and scanning their QR code. Well, QR codes are now on our, direct mail cards and the response rates on QR codes have been have been great as well. So something that came back as, as a result of, of the pandemic, but so trackable from a digital perspective, you know, all those things that, that help in the case of direct mail for us, you know, we track everything. We've got unique phone numbers, of course, to understand what response rates are, conversion rates, et cetera. And then the QR side of things, which makes it even easier from a tracking perspective too. Yeah, I mean, it's just from a marketing message. It's just, it's. I'm not going to say it's easy, but I mean, from you, uh, from your all standpoint, it's like, gosh, 
let us do the work. You enjoy the pool. I mean, it's just like, to me, like the, just the, the, the work involved with maintaining it is just overwhelming. Oh, same with boats. Like, I mean, I'm surprised there's not a boat service out there. Cause it's like, gosh, you know, I, everyone's always working on their boats that it's just that, that to me is enough to be like, I'm not, I'm just not interested. But well, that's uh, why people go to hotels. They put their boats in those things and right. they probably get all that work done, something like that. So when I'm when I'm running in my neighborhood, when Tim's running in his neighborhood, when when we're driving through, the number one thing that you'll see on a on a, a weekly basis is lawn mowing companies. Is is that a model that you guys are interested in getting into? And have you explored it? Because it's it seems like that's just seemed, there, there's it seems an so competitive there. to me. It almost seems like a race to the bottom, but I'm curious. What ha- but it's not very polished either, if you really yeah. think about it. Yeah, we're constantly evaluating additional opportunities for both new and, and um, acquisitions, um, you know, as Buzz franchise brands, and we look at a lot of different things. There's a, you know, there's a pretty formidable company out there in the franchise space uh, called the Grounds Guys, which is a franchise that's um, in the in the landscaping business side of things. So there are franchise companies out there that that do that. Um, it's it's not a model that you know that we've looked at actively to to try and pursue. I mean we investigated it, researched it, but that's not one that we've gone down. But it is, you know, similar to the pool business, the opportunity to professionalize that is there. You know, I think what I think what we've seen, because some often our franchisees are they've got referral partnerships at a local level with landscaping companies that do stuff that they don't do and, and those kinds of things. Um, you know, they're, the, the focus on the landscaping where it seems like when people are making a lot of more money would be on the more robust hardscapes projects and those kinds of things. And the, cutting the grass at the end of the day is kind of a ticket to the game to get to the bigger business rather than just the, the cutting of the grass business, which maybe, Tim, as you indicated, might be, you know, a commodity product, which is price driven, which is not necessarily how we how you make money. So you said one of the other brands is the, the holiday lighting. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's it, really interesting. It's uh, it, our brand is Wonderly uh, and we re- recently rebranded it. Uh, we launched it last year. And, you know, I think Buzz franchise brands and, and you know, particularly our, our relationship with Mosquito Joe franchisees that came in under Buzz franchise brands has always been really solid. And, you know, the, the Mosquito Joe business, depending on where it is, like Pool Scouts, depending on where it is, is a seasonal business in some cases. The season's always a lot longer than people think it is, even in Detroit or Boise or, you know, Hartford, Connecticut, where we have locations. You know, we're, we're working you know, through the end of October into November, et cetera. But there is an opportunity for this kind of bookend business. And we really looked at the holiday lighting business as as that opportunity and started uh, started what it was called originally Wonderly uh, is what it's called now it was originally called Grand Illuminations last year with many of our uh, former Mosquito Joe franchisees and some Pool Scouts franchisees being part of the inaugural group of franchisees so really kind of the opportunity to take the season uh, ending of, of Pool Scouts for example and then having this holiday lighting business which this season is really October, end of October, November, December, with takedown of the lights in January. Uh, so we just saw a great opportunity to do that, launch the business, um, and you know have had had a lot of success to the point where, as you know, in our second year now, we have 24 franchisees already in the system mm-hmm. for Wonderly, which is uh, is just a great a great adoption. But we're providing the same kind of support 
with Wonderly. And it's, it is a target household, not the pools, obviously, but higher uh, in threshold, a single family home kind of situation. Uh, and then we brought in, when we started the brand, we brought in some, some folks uh, who, who had done the business as well to help with the unit economic model and the, the credibility side of things right out of the gate. So, yeah, but it works. Like if you look at, think about the way that it matches up, you know, Bull Scouts in, in the greater Detroit, uh, Nora Farhad is one of our franchisees there. She's got Bull Scouts and she's got Wonderling. And so she's got using the same technicians and, mm -hmm. you know, in many cases has the same customer base uh, that she can share. So there's just a, a tremendous amount of synergy there. And then that business winds down, you know, by the third week of January, everything's taken down and then you're kind of getting ready to ramp up the, the Bull Scouts business in March. Are do the households, supplying, that's what I was going to say, do the households supply the lights and the ornaments or do you all well, the business do that super yeah, nuts? In essence, we're, yeah, we're, we're providing the lights, we're taking down, storing them, and then, you know, we, in most cases, we're installing them the next year, basically. So it's a pretty cool uh, technology-oriented business, too, where we, you know, we go out to a household, we show them what it looks like on a, on a tablet, and you can kind of see it, and it's a real, uh, you know, there's a, the ability to do that virtually with some cool tools there. But, um, you know, it's one of these businesses, like back to, you mentioned, uh, Tim and, and Zach, about giving your time back. Do you really want to do this yourself or do you just want to show up and, holy cow, look at our holiday lights and they're up and they're running. We're the envy of the neighborhood and we didn't have to do it ourselves. And then we don't have to get up on the ladders and, you know, do all this kind of stuff. And it looks yeah. great and, uh, and we're paying somebody to do it. What's such a yeah. pain, too? To have to go oh. up there. Do luckily, cords? my we don't we don't actually put mm. lights on our house only inside. So luckily, we don't have to deal with that. Like, I didn't make that decision; she did, and I'm like, I'm fine with that. Like, I don't have to go up on yeah. that roof and do it. Like, it's, but it's a lot of work, you know. It, it you know is making it look pretty. Having someone come to do that, it's it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Well, and I met there's there's someone that. Uh, that I know his wife doing the holiday lights by herself fell off the ladder mm -hmm. and she's wheel, mm -hmm. she's wheelchair bound. She will be oh. for the rest of her life. I mean, it's just wow. tragic, tragic thing. And uh, man, it's just, yeah, that's just ladders, roofs, not my, not my deal. Yeah. Stay away from it all. Hmm. No, that's right, so we were, my wife and I, we were talking just last night. We we're like, golly, all the people like, Halloween decorations, like that just continues to increase more and more and more. I mean, people are going crazy over it these days. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I think just that the the home services business is you're always you know, thinking about, do you want to do it yourself? I mean, you know, certainly I, I would say like the, the the first thing that people think of in home services is like house cleaning. Right. And so obviously we have a brand Home Clean Heroes, which which does residential home cleaning but you know you think about if you're having somebody come to your house once a week or once every other week or once a month whatever it might be to clean it you're more apt to buy services that are similar to that pool cleaning um, you know, holiday lighting uh, whatever it might be that, that that's there so i think the you know the opportunity for synergy from a customer perspective is is really strong so when you get used to paying for services that you don't want to do yourself uh, at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, that's, you're, you're either a do it yourself or you're not like, you know, I think there, there are things that 
I'm not a do-it-yourselfer necessarily. <laughs> um, I'm different stage <laughs> life-wise. I probably was a lot more so when I was younger, but I don't, you know, there's things I just don't want to do anymore. And I'm, I'd rather spend my time doing other things. So I think that's part of part of understanding who your customer base is. But there's a lot of synergy in our brands as far as who the customer base is. Well, let's jump into the uh, the time warp machine. It's March of 2020. You find out that the world closed. Immediately freaked out? Or how, how did that go? Because this, it, yeah, it ended up being really, good for you guys. It really did. Uh, man, I, I can, you know, we're... We're original, you know, our original reaction was like, how are we immediately going to be impacted? And right from day one, we were deemed an essential service. And that was a big deal because that meant we could keep operating and, and, and you know, doing our business. And with Cool Scouts, we're not in people's homes. We're outside. And so we in most cases, we've got a single technician driving around in a vehicle is going out and cleaning, maintaining, or repairing somebody's swimming pool. Um, so we were very fortunate to get that news, news early. And then what happened was everything kind of closed down. So people's residential swimming pools in their backyards were like a safe haven. And then you had, of course, you looked at what happened across the country. You had, you know, people were spending more time and energy and money in their homes, equity at super high rates, you know, were, were properties that appreciated, interest rates were very low. So people were like, well, we can't go on vacation. This is closed. We're gonna invest our time and energy and money into our homes. And that fueled pool construction across the country at unprecedented rates to the point where 2022, 2021, you saw 24% growth in pool construction across the country. Mm. Unprecedented, never seen it like that ever. Uh, so, you know, that meant a lot more pools that were being built that need to be cleaned, maintained, repaired, et cetera, which has really helped fuel the growth for our business. So we were growing like crazy amidst so many other businesses out there that, that weren't. Um, so that helped fuel franchise growth as well for us um, as a brand, too. So, you know, we were like one of these pockets of excellence amidst a lot of challenging businesses out there in, during the pandemic. And that has, you know, helped helped fuel us. Uh, of course, we were focused on what can we do to safeguard uh, our franchisees and technicians. What what kind of protocols can we put in place? You know, how do we make sure that that everybody's kept safe? Uh, at the same time, some of the challenges that we had, Zach, which everybody saw, were like supply side challenges. Uh, so for us, 2022, 21, getting our chemicals and products became more challenging and more expensive. Uh, so we had to we had to do a lot to support our franchisees during that process. Uh, and that included, you know, sourcing and, and vendor diversification and, you know, in some cases, uh, buying stock of, of products for franchisees in certain areas so that they could have access to bigger buys to make sure they, they got what they needed. Because uh, like many franchise systems, we, we help them uh, determine where to buy the ketchup packets and how much they're going to cost. Um, so we did that, you know, uh, we had to get really involved in that. And that included vehicle procurement as well. Because for us, you know, Zach, I know you've seen our vehicles and Tim, you've seen our vehicles. They were branded rolling billboards down the street. Well, they weren't easy to come by either. So we had to figure out, we originally sourced them in one place. Uh, and then we had to figure out, you know, that didn't work. We had to find multiple places to buy vehicles for our franchisees or help them get their vehicles and wraps and all those kinds of things that we do. 
So some challenges ultimately that came out of it, but overall we were impacted in a positive way with what happened. How is now that uh, we're on the other side of that coin with interest rates being so high, have you felt any effects on this end? Not, not really yet. You know, we look at our, our customer acquisition and growth. Um, you know, we're 50% over last year's uh, system-wide revenue number. Our growth and share of the wallet revenue per customer is 17% year-over-year growth as well. So we're getting more revenue out of the same uh, customer base and growing our customer base materially. Uh, as well. Some of that is, of course, the new pools that have been built over the past couple of years and then just uh, growth overall. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, we provide a more professional approach to a historically non-professional business and, and customers get it and they like it and, uh, and they appreciate it and they refer us. You know, 20 percent of yeah. our customers uh, have come through referrals, uh, which is a, you know, a, a great testament to the brand value overall. Um, so, you know, I think we, we've seen some improvements, for instance, on the supply side, it's a lot easier to get chemicals and products that we need. And, and in some cases, the price has even come down, which has been you know, good. Um, vehicles are still a challenge. And, uh, you know, you can see what's going on in the world uh, with that. That might continue for a while. They're more expensive than they ever have been. Um, home equity is, of course, high, but, you know, interest rates are low. So how that will affect us, Tim, is... You know, if you're borrowing money to construct a pool, that's going to slow down substantially. Sure. Um, so that that end of things will. Yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's just. You know that you're going to have to stay in your house because you're got, if you were to sell, you have to move somewhere. So if you're going right. to stay in the house, you know, you're going to stay in the house. Then, uh, you know, that might be uh, something that you would explore. And I would imagine once people get a taste of your service. There's not a lot of people that are like, you know what? I really miss cleaning the pool. I'm going to go back, uh, go back to doing that. I, I just can't see that happening. My in-laws have a pool and they complain about having to clean that thing all <laughs> of the time. I mean, they're just right? like, it is, this is the biggest pain, but yeah. they're, 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 what'd you call them? Doers or DIYers? Do it yourselfers. Yeah, do it yourself. DIYers. They're, the, they're, the, yeah, they're DIYers. So, I mean, it's DIYers. Yeah, which is a, a segment of the audience. I have to be is. pool boy when I'm there, skim it a little bit. You know, I get there, got to get all the, yeah. It's, we put you to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, I, I work hard so I don't have to be a do-it-yourselfer. I, I just value my time too much. Yeah, we what, do what a lot of, you know, customer segmentation every year. And we do that across our franchise system to really understand who our customers are. And then we share all of that data to, to know and that that plays into our marketing that you know from a digital perspective clearly we have a segmentation of who we're trying to target there as well um so you know in, in, and even markets differ you know we have a lot of franchisees in florida and texas where weekly pool service is the norm everybody's got kind of somebody who comes and does that but that's not always the norm in some seasonal markets where people don't even know that you can pay somebody to open it and service it every week and close it and you don't have to do it yourself. So sometimes depending on the region of the country or the territory itself, you have different uh, marketing messages. But once you get into that market, people understand it. And, you know, the, the high end of the, the marketplace doesn't want to do things themselves as a lot of them already right out of the gate know that. But, you know, I think there's a there's a fair bit of that opportunity to to tell people you don't have to do this yourself. We'll do it for you. Historically, owning a franchise, I think in people's mindset was something that was unobtainable, something that was fairly cost 
um, uh, very, very, very expensive. If I recall, you guys have a kind of different spin on that where it's it's not as astronomical to get in. Is is that still the case? How do people yeah. get in involved and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, part of our when we look at brands and look at opportunities, we're looking at the investment, you know, in a franchise disclosure document, which is the agreement between the franchisor and the franchisee. There's a there's a section of it called the item seven, which is really the initial investment. And that's like, what does it take to get started in this business? And we really like our category and our section, which is really all of our businesses, you know, are, are around under $150,000 to get started in. And that includes a full year's worth of marketing and cash flow for three months and other, you know, startup costs that are involved in the business. Um, so lower cost investment is generally true with home service and business businesses because you don't have an expensive bricks and mortar real estate play, which, you know, if you think about starting a fast casual restaurant, you got a build out, you got real estate, you got a lot of upfront costs uh, that are involved in that. So in our case, we really like lower cost uh, franchise brands because we can, you know, we can target who we're trying to look for from a, from a franchisee perspective. Um, so that's fun in, uh, in sharing that story and, and being in that category as well. We do. So if you people that are interested in becoming a franchisee, uh, you know, like what are the things that that, that you look for do you, uh, in order to. Do they have to be are, are they typically going to be the ones to do the, the pool servicing or would they immediately hire yeah. hire that service out? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, Tim. And I think this is really when when anybody's researching franchising. You know, they, they really have to think about what the important factors of what kind of business they want to be in. So if I look at our brands independently, you know, in the case of Pool Scouts, the work that we do, I call it like the billable hours. You know, we're at residential swimming pools, cleaning, maintaining, repairing them, usually Monday through Friday from eight o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the evening. Sometimes on the weekends and seasonal markets for service pools or if there's a rain day or whatever. But those are when our billable hours are. In the case of our British Swim School, same thing with Home Clean Heroes. In the case of British Swim School, the work of teaching kids how to swim is often done during hours when the kids are out of school or on the weekends. So sometimes when the work is done is an important factor to consider if you're looking at a business, right? If you think about restaurants, you think of the hours of restaurants and when they are. Um, we don't, you know, we don't want our, our franchisees out cleaning and maintaining pools. Now they know need to know how to do it, but we want them focused on building their business. And there's always the, you know, are you working on your business or in mm -hmm. your business because of that that side of things. Um, so we're we're looking for folks in the case of Pool Scouts that want to build a big business. Our our most mature franchisees will service over a thousand customers. That's a lot of customer relationships. That's a lot of vehicles and technicians that are out there in the field and a lot of things to manage at the same time. A lot of balls in the air that you're juggling as it may. So I think, you know, those are things to to think about if people are looking at franchising or just any business whatsoever. What do you see yourself doing in a franchise? You have defined business model, unit economics, roles, responsibilities. You know, you have a playbook that you're, you're running with, as opposed to being, you know, a true entrepreneur where you got to figure everything out. Like you get all the systems, like I mentioned, the ketchup packet thing, all that, that you're going to get that with, with any franchise system. Some do it better than others, of course. 
uh, but you've got defined roles. So Tim, we don't really want our franchisees necessarily out there cleaning pools, uh, but in the beginning, they should know how to do it so that they can teach people how to do it. And of course, we train all of that as well. Of our 49 franchisees, you know, in the past, we had one that was uh, was from the pool business. Everybody else has come from outside of the pool mm. business. So we have to teach the technical component of it as well. You mentioned how much data that you collect. It's more than any other company that you've ever been involved with. How are you kind of understanding what that data is telling you? Because I think oftentimes we can be getting certain, but we can read data one way, but really it could be read a different way. Like what, what do you do to make sure that you're reading the data that you guys are receiving in the way that well, is, is the most accurate? Great, great question. Uh, great question. First of all, I would say we have here made investments that are pretty substantial at the Buzz franchise brands level. We have data analysts on our team. So Michael is our CFO and leads a, a team of folks, including Edward Barham, who's our, our lead financial analyst, who really makes sense of so much data. We've made an investment in Tableau, uh, which is really a, a data congregating system that allows you to take data from multiple systems and make sense of it and make it uh, reportable on a regular recurring basis. So to put that into practice, I can sit at my desktop here and look how everybody across the franchise system is doing how they did yesterday, look at marketing responses, look at so many different things, customer acquisition, retention, dollars, you name it, uh, and, and have access to that. But then we provide report cards to our franchisees so that they're constantly able to monitor how their business is doing compared to other franchise locations, et cetera. Uh, so it's it's really an investment, and that's a, that's a testament to Kevin Wilson, our, our CEO and founder, Brian Garrison, our, our COO and president of just truly being data oriented, but making it accessible so that we're, we're, we, we call it, we want to make, and we literally have values in our company. Um, and one of them we call is acting with purpose. And that's like gut-based decisions are not what we want to do. We want to use data to make really good decisions and then see how it looks across the entire franchise system or across all of our franchise systems. So it's been an investment that that Buzz Franchise Brands has made that's substantial, and it's ongoing and recurring, and it's led by some unbelievable people that that make sense of it. Well, this is episode one hundred and eighty, and I think that you are probably the most knowledgeable in terms of numbers of all the different guests that we've had. And, I, I mean, was thinking the same. Real. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> we, it's, it's quite impressive. And uh, it, to me, it, it's always been a direct correlation. The, the, the people that know the numbers better than anyone else have the most successful businesses than anyone else. I mean, it's just, it's always been a direct correlation. It's yeah, I know it's so easy in the beginning of a franchise too, when you're first starting out, you don't, you don't necessarily look at the numbers unless somebody's telling you what to look at and what matters. You know, in, in the home service business is certainly what we do across all of our brands. Uh, it's all literally your initial success and, and subsequent success is all operating above the line is what I call it. And it's really so you've got operating above the line. You've got to generate revenue. And in our case, you got to acquire customers and servicing them on, on a regular recurring basis. So you're generating and keeping customers and generating revenue. And then for us, it's, it's managing two key things. It's. It's your labor and your cost of goods sold, which we charge for the 
you know, the chlorine tablets or the, the shock or the products that we administer. And so you're managing the margin there at a, at a gross profit and gross margin level. If you can do that well, this, the costs below the line are going to flow pretty much as they flow. But in the very beginning of their, their startup of their business, you know, they have to literally look at that on a per job basis because the customers come and you got to drive all the way over here and then all the way over here. And over time, you built up this route density where you're a lot more efficient. But if you're not measuring at a per job level, you can get, you know, not feel great about the results knowing that you're having to spend a lot of time driving. But that, that changes pretty quickly over time as our customer routes become dense. Uh, that's true with our home cleaning business, you know, Home Clean Heroes as well. Um, so it's, you know, and same with Wonderly. So we're trying to, you know, get dense routes of customers. You have predictability, scalability, and, you know, we're helping them constantly take this forest view as opposed to the trees view, which is not easy to do when you're starting a business. But if you have data that helps see that, you kind of make daily decisions on changes as opposed to waiting until you get a, an income statement that's, you know, 45 days after the month or, you know what I mean? And, and you haven't had the ability to make that change and impact and drive efficiency. Being so data-driven, do you teach the people that are in the households to talk to the customers to find out and, and get their feedback so you can find out what to add, what to take away, what to expand upon? Uh, or are you a, we don't even want to be seen. We just want to make sure that you have crystal clear water in your pool, beautiful holiday lights and a clean Yeah, um, I'd say that it's kind of a dual answer there. Uh, we want to know, we actually, across all of our brands, we use a, a net promoter score system that is, you know, we work with a company called WebPunch to do that, who does a fabulous job. Every franchise location has their own NPS, net promoter score. It's something that we send out surveys to all of our customers on a regular recurring basis. So we're on the pulse of knowing when customers feel great about us, when they want to refer us, et cetera. Uh, there's, and, the, and then the NPS is really simple. It's rate us one through 10 when you refer us to a friend or family and provide any sort of comments. Uh, we look at those on an ongoing basis and understand what customers are thinking about us. We, of course, measure referrals. In the case of Pool Scouts, we have a product which we don't want to sell or we don't you know, necessarily, it's not selling, but it's called the Scout Guarantee. We guarantee our work. If we didn't do a great job, we'll come back out and do the service again. And so that's something that we measure across all of our franchise system. And it's it's a free service, so you're not getting revenue for it. Uh, so that's not something you want to be doing. But it's important to kind of guarantee the work and back up what you're doing at the end of the day. So we do know that information, and we share that, of course. Although the franchisees get get all of that information transparently. Um, from a from a data perspective on who our customers are, we share that at a macro level with the franchise system so we can understand. And then of course, we try and bring that into how we target uh, who the target customers are once we know more about them on a regular recurring basis. A lot of businesses use the net promoter score, which is basically, I think, zero to 10 score and you pick how likely you are or how happy you are, something like that with yeah. it. Like, and it seems to be very effective for people it seems all obviously very simple as well, but a lot of people don't use it. Like, how did you guys decide that that was the scoring system that you were going to use? And do you look at other things? And and like, is it is it accurate? Like, I mean, obviously, it seems to be somewhat accurate because you guys are using it a lot. But like, it just it it seems too good to be true. 
It's not. And I think, you know, I, I'm a huge proponent of it. And I always, uh, so in Pool Scouts, I am super proud to say that the, the NPS for Pool Scouts across the system right now is 78. And so often we think of grades. And so 78, man, that doesn't sound that great. You know, I've got a, a son who's a junior in college and he told me I was, I just got a 78 on my test. I'm like, that's not that good. You know, you might be able to do a little bit better. C plus. In the case of NPS, it's really good. Uh, it's mm. really good. So, you know, measuring the, the net promoter score of an individual location or of a brand is a very strong leading indicator of, of the health of the brand. And it is a, a true indicator of the referrals that will come out. And I always, you know, when people are, are asking about this, I'm like, okay, just go out and Google NPS of leading brands that you see. You won't find many that are at 78. And I'm talking about brands that historically have an unbelievable, you know, uh, reputation, like a, a Ritz-Carlton or, you know, you, you, you got so many that are just known for exceptional service out there. Our, uh, our NPS is, is, is one of the highest that's out there. And I generally do a benchmark study of this when, uh, when we're at our convention just to kind of share. But it's something that we look at on a regular basis. If we see a franchisee with a low, low net promoter score, there's something going on. You know, it might be that they've gone through people challenges. It might be that you know, we've got a, a technician that has constantly provided poor service that you need to know about. Uh, we have all that transparency of data to, to be able to see it. But it also gives us an awesome opportunity to reward great performance uh, on behalf of a technician or a location. You know, we celebrate it and then we also coach to it when it needs to be. How long were you in operation uh, before you started using NPS? We did it in our first year and this is one of the advantages oh, wow. that we had because uh, Mosquito Joe, uh, our first brand, was was already using NPS. We were, we were able to scale so many systems and best practices from being a part of those franchise brands and you know seeing what had worked really well for Mosquito Joe. And we've done that with all of our brands. So we started from day one with the, with the NPS and it's been great. But one of the outcries that you'll hear from many business owners, it appears, is that no one wants to work and it's really hard to fill jobs. Yeah. It's really hard to get people out yeah. there. Is, is, is that the case? What are you doing to, to fix that, to remedy that? Yeah. Like, when, you, when you hear that, like what's... Great question. People always ask me, particularly if we're, you know, we have a, a candidate who's a prospective Pool Scouts franchisee. And, uh, and I'm always like honest about this. Like, what's the hardest part of this business? And the answer is 100%. People are always the hardest part of every business that I've ever been involved in. Now, I've never been fortunate enough to be involved in the internet widget that didn't need any people that just somehow captured a margin off of, of something there. So I've always been involved in people businesses. Now, in the case of Buzz Franchise Brands and Pool Scouts, what do we do to support recruitment, uh, you know, employee uh, tracking, et cetera, for, for our franchisees? We afford systems. In our case, we use a couple different systems. We have a, a system called Career Plug, which really facilitates uh, recruiting employees. We have a corporate relationship with Indeed corporate pages, job description standardization, the process of recruiting and advertising for positions. We help them with the tools that, that help them recruit people. Now, as far as keeping people and retaining people, um, you know, that's, that's a little bit of a fine line because of, you know, you, we don't hire people for franchisees. They hire their own employees and we can't. 
there's a joint employer rule that says those are your people they work for you you pay them etc you might have seen some some news around this you know with what's going on out in california with fast food restaurants and mandating certain wage rates and the ability to potentially unionize those things that have happened you know have been pushed not happened yet fortunately because that would in many cases decimate the franchise model because if you can imagine you know a franchise location in you know somewhere in in the deep south in a rural location having to pay the same wages as new york city it just wouldn't work you couldn't capture the service rates in our business to justify the, the same rate so there is there is a, a line there but we do provide a lot of support to help the franchisees recruit uh, people uh, and that helps because a lot of you know depending on where they come from franchise candidates have different backgrounds some of them have hired people and have done all this and are great interviewers and and others haven't you know others have done different things and so we really have to assess that and provide support where necessary. In terms of uh, how fast you scale or expand to different franchisees, are, are, can you do that at scale or do you limit that to a certain number per year? So that's a good question, and Tim. So I think when it comes to an individual franchisee, we will award up to three territories per franchisee, but that's really dependent on what their balance sheet looks like, their ability to invest. Because in our case, and when we would do that, they would open up territory one, 12 months later, they would open up territory two, 12 months later, they would open up territory three. But we're really at this point, especially now being into this since 2016, we're really measured on that approach to understanding do you really have the the capital to invest in a second or third territory because when you open up a second or third territory initially it's a drain on your business because you're geographically expanding out you don't have that efficiency you don't have the same startup costs as you do in your first territory however it's going to drive down somewhat your profitability as you get out there and expand geographically right so we limit from that perspective as far as the growth of the franchise system, really that is the health of the brand, what we call the validation of the existing franchisees, because right out of the gate, when we have a franchise candidate, we provide them with a process, we call it the investigative process, to learn all about Pool Scouts. We give them the list of all the Pool Scouts franchisees. They can call them up and say, hey, would you do this again? What do you think? Et cetera. So there's a transparency there that you know helps develop. And then there's just you know the, the market. Do you get into target markets? It's about finding, we, we call it awarding franchises, not selling them. And that's important because mm -hmm. our franchise relationship, the FDD, as we call it, the franchise disclosure document, is a 10-year relationship. I describe mm -hmm. it as a marriage. You better be super stoked going into that marriage out of the gate, both parties, and it's a relationship that you're building and fostering over time as well. Uh, so, you know, it's about finding the right candidates with the right profiles at the right time in their lives to make, you know, that decision on awarding them a franchise or not. I find that just even with my clients where like I have to like figure out, make sure it's going to be a win-win for both of us, that it's going to, that it's not going to just be you guys paying me. Like it's, it's got to work because otherwise like both sides of the of the equation are are not happy with each other and it's like yeah great you can pay me but i know you're not going to actually do the things that i'm asking you to do so does this make sense and and i think that's yeah. so smart on your part because 
like, yes, it would be nice to be able to have a thousand of these things. But really, if, you know, 950 of those are going to go away this year because they weren't the right candidates, we've done our, our, ourselves a, a terrible job of, of understanding this, this to, to, to do what we wanted to. And it's, I commend you for that because I think a lot of people would not take that approach. Well, you understand a profile of candidates as you have a more robust franchise system, too. Right. You start to understand the, you know, the, the skills, what your most successful franchisees look like from a skill set and aptitude perspective, et cetera. And so you're able to kind of build more of a profile as the brand matures, uh, which is helpful, too. And that's true with all all franchise systems, too. That said, we have incredible diversity in our franchise population, which I love. I mean, we have veterans. We have some of our most successful operators are women in a historically male-driven business with the full-service business. Um, we've got just you know a, a, just a great group that come from business backgrounds and lots of, lots of things. So you you can't judge a book by its cover at all, but you can certainly understand the skill set and aptitude that help uh, help you make better selections when it comes to prospective franchisees. You all been approached by undercover boss yet? <laughs> we have not. There are a lot of franchise systems that have, uh, and, and most of the brands that I watch that show sometimes. I'm always intrigued by it. Um, so yeah, no, not not yet, not yet. I don't. Yeah, they generally <laughs> pick brands that are that are a bit bigger than than full scouts are. But you know, I don't know. Maybe someday you'll see me with a. Well, because you know, right? It's just at some point they have to. I don't know. Maybe there's just so many businesses that they'll never run out. But I was like, gosh, they've been running that show so long that it's. Uh, is that Never. show still on? I think so. I, yeah, I used to watch it back in the day. That was a good show. Yeah. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> Michael, what's something we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Yeah, I, you know, I think um, business ownership in general is, is such a unique uh, opportunity in our country. And there's so many different models and types of businesses out there that are franchises. And the advantage of a franchise is really the, the unit economic model, the playbook, and ultimately the support team of people that support franchisees. Different than once again, true entrepreneurship where you're going out and starting something from zero and you have to discover and understand every aspect of the business. I think investigating if, if folks are interested in franchising, what businesses are out there is is you know should be a fun process and then identifying like is this something you can see yourself doing investing your time energy and money the way that i describe uh you know when we're talking to candidates it's such a, an important relationship because in most cases a prospective franchisee might be quitting a, a job a corporate job they're taking their their nest egg, maybe their life savings, and they're literally looking at us across the table and pushing it across and saying, you know, help me build long-term wealth, help me build a better work-life balance. That responsibility is incredible. It really is. And so the relationships uh, with the franchisor and the franchisee, they're beyond just a, a business relationship. You know, it's a personal relationship, you think about it. Uh, it's one of the most gratifying parts of what, what we get to do. And uh, it's a challenge too, because sometimes people's personal situation is dramatically impacting their business 
and their ability to operate their business. We had a franchisee a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, you know, he, he lost his, his, his mother and he lost his brother when a really short period of time and, and had a divorce as well. And, you know, like this was in a three month period. It was like had to, he ended up exiting the system, selling his business. But imagine during that time frame, his ability to operate his business was dramatically impacted. So how do you support that and how do you, you know, you move forward? Those are some of the challenges we deal with. But just ongoing coaching. I, sometimes in the beginning, you got to be the shoulder for somebody to cry on. You got to pat them on the back and you got to encourage them to follow the model and keep the faith and all those things. And then you're celebrating successes as well, making sure that you're, you're looking for opportunities to look at milestones and pat people on the back and recognize them because it, it's so easy to get your head down and just look at the trees, you know, and not recognize you just hit your hundredth customer, your thousandth customer, whatever the revenue milestone is. So, so those, uh, you know, that, that those roles are, are really fun, um, but, but challenging at times too. Reflect and celebrate. You know, I, 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 I hear that. Yep. Michael, it's been a blast. We appreciate your time. And uh, data matters. That's what I think. It sure uh, does. That's what, that's what I think I learned. The numbers don't lie. They don't lie. They do not. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Zach. A pleasure uh, yeah, thanks, seeing you guys again. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely.